All right, Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 10. It's a very well-known... We, we covered verse 10 last week, but we used this as a bridge verse, and we're going to do the same, starting with verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may, you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Lord, we just ask again, may your Spirit illuminate, strengthen, teach, counsel, heal everything we need from your Word. Deliver that to us from the very hands of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I read all those verses, though we're not going to cover them all today, but I read them in their totality because, you know, we're going to look more at this in the next couple of weeks, and I want us to see the passage in the full context, even though we're only going to focus on the first few verses that I read here this morning. But these final words, because obviously Paul's getting to his benediction and his departure, uh, departing words, if you will, uh, down in verses 21 through 24. But these final words of encouragement and counsel to the church in Ephesus, they represent a summation of what will be required to see victory and perseverance in their walk of faith. This, of course, applies to us in our lives as well. Wouldn't you agree? Of course it does. For no matter how far we've come, in this room, no matter how far you've come, there will be new battles. I hate to tell you, 2018 will not be smooth sailing. There'll be new battles. There'll be new trials. There'll be new pitfalls to navigate and to overcome. We don't like to hear that, do we? Jesus said, though, in Revelation 2-7, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life. Isn't that going to be great? One day we get to eat of the tree of life. Isn't that going to be great? There's no GMOs in that or anything. You know, it's good. It's, you know, I'm sure it's gluten-free and all that other stuff. It's going to be life-giving. If you want to sell something today, just put that on there. No GMO, it's gluten-free. But anyway, Jesus to the overcomers, he's going to give of the tree of life. We've been called to victory, brother and sister. We've been called to overcoming. You know that? We've been called to be overcomers. But we will need to follow our commander's orders and instructions to the letter. And we don't necessarily want to hear that, right? We, we, we like to kind of, we like to follow half of things, right? No, but we're going to have to follow his instructions to the letter, and we're going to have to trust his word, and we're going to have to rely on his spirit for the results. Are you trusting God for results lately? We've talked about that trusting him for the results, but again, he gives the instructions. I believe this passage, known as the armor of God, has anyone not, has anyone never heard of this passage, the whole armor of God? This passage, known as the armor of God, it's written to the believer, hear this out, that has resolved to follow Christ and be a disciple. That's who it's written to, to the believer who has resolved to be a disciple. This is for the one that has taken up their cross and their intent, the intent of their life, is to live for Christ and to do His will. This is for the one that back in chapter 1, verse 7, has a deep appreciation for the forgiveness of sin and the grace they've received. This passage and the armor is for the one, according to chapter 2, verse 10, has come to know they have been created in Christ 
for good works, which God created them to walk in and work out in their life. This chapter, this text, is for the one according to chapter 3, verse 16. Again, all this is earlier in Ephesians. Desires to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit in the inner man or in the inner woman. Do you desire to God, God to strengthen you deep inside where no one can even see but the Lord? This is for the one that according to chapter 4, verse 1, endeavors to walk worthy of their calling in Jesus Christ. This is for the one according to chapter 5, is married to Jesus Christ and is investing daily in that personal relationship with Jesus. Lastly, at the opening of chapter 6, which covered about two weeks ago, this is to the one who out of gratitude and the worthiness of Christ, our very master, is committed to obedience and serving the Lord with a sincere heart. Now, I just gave you a kind of a walkthrough of all of Ephesians. To the church of Ephesus, they had been given all of that, and we've covered all of that. And the the Lord is saying through Paul, to the one that is sincerely endeavoring in these areas, these last words are for you. This is who Paul is writing to. It's to that believer <clears throat> that has presented their life as a living sacrifice to Jesus, according to Romans chapter 12. It really doesn't apply, hear this out, because maybe you've read this text before and maybe this didn't dawn on you. This part of Scripture really does not apply to the lukewarm or sound asleep Christian that's not aware or is completely unconcerned about any spiritual battle. Think about it. Think about it. If, if you think about the, uh, our soldiers that are serving overseas, the soldiers that are in special forces right now in hot spots around the world, they are highly trained, they're heavily armed, they're using night vision goggles. They're wearing protective gear. Why? Because they're in hostile areas, tense situations, and very dangerous battles. So they're outfitted for this rugged, rough battle environment. The person that is laying on a lounge chair, drinking a fruit drink at a Sandals in the Caribbean, has no need for that type of training, that type of armor, and that type of protection, do they? No. They're reading a John Grisham novel. They may need a little sunscreen, but they're miles away, literally, and metaphorically, from the battle zone. They don't need any of that. There's nothing wrong with a vacation. I'm not saying that. I just, we got back a couple weeks ago from Florida. I really needed the rest. Nothing wrong with a vacation. There's nothing wrong with some time of rest. But for many Christians, they're on a permanent vacation spiritually. They're on a permanent vacation spiritually. They're not in the battle Christ has called them to. You know, A.W. Tozer, he was a great pastor, 50s, 60s, uh, further back. He said the idea that this world is a playground instead of a battleground has now become the accepted practice by the vast majority of Christians. The vast majority of Christians think, hey, it's, it's a playground. Pastor Joe Foch up in Philly, and if you follow me on Facebook, I sent this out yesterday, but spiritual progress, he said, spiritual progress is impossible without spiritual warfare. Spiritual progress and spiritual warfare go hand in hand. There's no way around it. I wish there was. I'm sure Paul wished it. You think your life's tough. Read about Paul's life. But he came to know this was the reality. Now understand that Jesus wants to and will awaken the sleeping believer and arouse the lukewarm church and place them into what I would call spiritual boot camp. But until that happens, because Jesus will do it, if you really are saved, he's eventually going to get everyone into spiritual boot camp. If you belong to him, again, in my house, I have three daughters. I never will rally the neighborhood kids and tell them, here's what you're going to do to them. They're not my kids. But if you're one of God's kids, he eventually will say, it's time to get into spiritual boot camp. He will rally his own. 
but until that happens, there's no need or recognition for spiritual armor. So again, if someone's not in a battle, they don't need the spiritual armor. So they're like, well, this doesn't apply to me. I don't, I don't relate to any of that. I'm still in the lounge chair. You see, if you're not in the battle, guess what? Jesus wants to place you in the battle. And if you are in the battle, Christ wants to arm you for victory. Isn't that great to know? If you're in the battle right now, say, well, I, you know, I'm not on the lounge chair. Spiritually speaking, I'm in the battle. Well, the Lord's going to help you win. He's going to help you see victory. Conversely, if you're not in the battle, Satan wants you to stay right where you are. If you're not in the battle, Satan says, stay right there. Don't make a move. Here's another pina colada, spiritually speaking. And if you're in the battle, he also wants to take you out of it. Satan wants to take you out of the battle. Take you out, take you out of the battle, make you ineffective. This will become very clear as we go through verses 10 through 18. God wants you in and winning. Satan wants you out and losing. That's a fact. God wants you in the battle and winning. Satan wants you out of the battle and or losing. Jesus warns in the parable of the talent in Matthew chapter 25 that staying out of the battle is the worst decision someone naming his name can possibly make. Lord, I took your talent, I buried it, and I stayed far away from anything that would remotely cause me or you any problems. Mm -mm. The other two guys, they invested and took risks. Battles take risks, don't they? You're putting your life on the line. But here's the really, really good news. And I'll admit this is easier said than done. <laughs> Everything in the Scripture is easier said than done. If we follow the precise commands of Jesus, we'll advance and be victorious step by step, inch by inch in the face of enemy fire because Jesus has already won the whole war at Calvary. He's already, run the whole, he's already won the whole thing. So let's take a look at um, what I've called the plan, if you're taking notes. And first thing we'll look at is the will. Uh, we're picking up where we left off last week in verse 10. I'll reread verse 10. We looked at verse 10 as it was an adjoining statement to the previous text. Now we're looking at verse 10 as it's the starting point for the next. So uh, verse 10 again, finally, my brethren, be strong. In the Lord and the power of his might. Now that verse has some strength to it, doesn't it? Be strong in the Lord. The power of his might. You know, when you think about the power of God, just think about one lightning bolt. One thunder. You ever heard one of these thunders that you didn't expect coming and it made you jump like you realized, I didn't have, knew I had that vertical jump anymore. Just all of a sudden, it came back. It was a reflex. The power of God. But that's just, according to the book of Job, those are the mere edges of his ways. I mean, just comprehend a black hole or stars that dwarf ours and, you know, all of the things that you see in the cosmos, the power of God. But he says we can have the strength of God and the power of his might. But here's the will that we want to look at. God's will for you and me is that no matter how tough life sometimes is, despite the opposition, despite the setbacks, the sad times, the trials, the frustrating times, the difficulties, the moments of failure, irritation, all of these things, that in the midst of it all, we'd be strong in the Lord. In the Lord and the power of his might. He, nowhere in that verse is saying the power of your might or my might. We bring nothing to the table, do we? We can't keep ourselves alive. But God will almost always have to change our perception of what strength is, doesn't he? Like we, we have this perception of it, God says, I'm going to have to change your perception of what it is. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I'll rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 2 Corinthians, same chapter, verse 10. When I am weak, then I am strong. Are you thrilled and boasting to everybody about how weak you are? Have you been telling everybody, you know what? I'm the weakest person I know. And it's a lovely thing, isn't it? Uh, Paul, he, 
he wasn't boasting like bragging. He was simply saying the reality when he come to churches, the reality is the only reason I can do what I do is because God's taken this completely weak, empty vessel and filled it with the Holy Spirit. We have a spiritual paradox that in God's economy, our weakness and inability combined with our surrender hearts, our surrendered hearts and availability. So again, our weakness and inability combined with our surrendered hearts and availability unleashes the power of God by the Spirit of God. That combination. God says, all right, who can I find that's really weak, has no strength, but they have an available heart? That's who I can use right there. 80-year-old man, Moses, you're perfect for the job. Everyone else is looking for the fit 30-year-old. Moses, 80, oh, come on, Lord, you know, just planning for retirement here, you know? I got a 40-year job for you. It's made for a man half your age. But I think you're ready. Take heart. That's the paradox of God. It's all in him. That's what the verse says. The power of his might to be strong in the Lord. We don't bring anything to the table. It's good to know that he's the one that strengthens. Now, in the physical realm, a physically weak eagle... Last week I was riding here, I saw that bald eagle pass right across from me. A physically weak eagle is going to die. But a physically weak saint can soar. Big difference, right? A physically weak saint can soar as the Spirit of God breathes life and vitality into the innermost being. This is sustaining strength. Sustaining strength. Five-hour energy is not enough, folks. I need more than five hours in my life. How about you? That's barely a blink. We need five-year energy, 50-year energy. That kind of drink. Remember Jesus said to the woman, well, he goes, you drink of this water, you're going to thirst again. If you drink the water I give, you're never going to thirst again. He goes, you want to have powerful. Jesus says, I'll give you a drink that no one on earth can give you. That kind of strength. Do you have that type of strength? Are you seeing that type of strength grow in your life? It's a spiritual strength. Sometimes it's really hard to describe. But it's God's will that you do have it or that you start to see it grow in your life. Now, as if our weaknesses wasn't enough, guess what? We also have an enemy plotting attacks against us. Now, we start out weak. Now we find out we're not only weak, we also have an enemy. He's not so weak. We've been drawn into a battle that we'd rather not fight. I can tell you many times I've not wanted to be in the battle. Many times. I'm like, Lord, I'd rather be in that lounge chair that came into my mind. You know, I'd want to be at the Sandals Resort, too. You know, you know. The Lord says, no, no, you're called in this battle. And yet we're going to have to go into the battle even when we don't feel like it. That's why we're going to need the strength of the Lord and the power of his might. We'll need supernatural strength. And we'll need supernatural help, but God's guaranteed both of them. Isn't that great to know? He's guaranteed them both. Let's look at the first of what we're heading into of what I've titled the war. So we have the will. Now we have the war. Uh, whether you're in the armed forces or not, if you're a Christian, you are in the Lord's army. The Bible refers to us as soldiers of Christ. I'm not making these terms up. These are exactly what Jesus gave us. You know, the fact is, and Paul's talking about, we have a battle that we're called to. And as soon as you're saved, you're enlisted. And then as soon as you start to follow Jesus, you start to see, wow, there really is another side out there that's not so happy with my decision. There is a war between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan and the associated world system. Because the world system is led by Satan. All that you see, all the different uh, constructs of government and entertainment and all that stuff, Satan's kind of the ruler of all that stuff, stitches it all together, its value systems. But the final outcome of this kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan, the final outcome has been inevitable since Christ rose from the dead. But until Satan is cast in the lake of fire, he's going to try and inflict as many casualties as possible. Right? He's going to take 
out. You know, after wars have ended, there's always been some people that still fight after the war ends. John Wilkes Booth said, this war's not over, so I'm going to take the president out. And he did, right? Satan is like that. He's going to take out as many people. He knows he's already lost, but he's still going to take out as many people as he possibly can. But if you recall, from the outset of Jesus' ministry, Satan, uh, he was attacking even the Lord. Right there, in the, remember the 40 days of solitude, prayer, and fast? You know that was just before Jesus' public ministry? So even before Jesus launches into public ministry, there he has Satan trying to tempt him, trying to trip him up. By the way, Satan never had even a chance of this working, and yet he tried for that 40-day period. Never had a chance. Jesus is never going to fall. But he tried anyway. You and I, we can't physically, physically see the war around us. We can't see what Jesus saw. But he could simultaneously see the physical and the spiritual realm. Jesus could see both at the same time. He could see what was taking place in the physical realm, but he also could see the backdrop of the spirit world. He spoke, Jesus spoke in his earthly ministry, directly to the demonic world. If you read the Gospels, he speaks directly to them. This demonic world, or demons, they were fallen angels that aligned with Satan in his rebellion. And that's found in Isaiah chapter 14. So you can see the rebellion of Satan, where he rebels against the Lord. And then along with Satan, this group of fallen angels, they were cast out of heaven. And we see that according to Revelation chapter 12, a third followed Satan. A third made the dumbest decision you could possibly make, follow a created being instead of the creator. But they did. A third followed Satan, and they were cast out. Now here, Paul refers to these same demons, which includes Satan as their leader, as the rulers of darkness. You see that right there in verse 12. The rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts in heavenly places. By the way, they don't like me preaching this message at all. They don't want you to know that they've been defeated. They don't want you to know the Holy Spirit is stronger. They don't want you to know that they really are at work. They'd rather you believe, like many other people, that uh, Satan doesn't even exist. Like many Americans now in polls, we don't believe he's just a, a silly guy in a red outfit with a pitchfork that you dress up with at Halloween. He likes that, you, that people think that, you know. But nevertheless, Paul refers to these fallen angels, these spiritual hosts in heavenly places. Now, they're not spiritual hosts in heaven. That would be the angels. There's still two-thirds of the angels remain. So there is a righteous group of spirit beings, and they're called the angels, Michael, Gabriel, and many others. But the Bible says there's an innumerable number of angels. So we don't know how many. So that means there's a lot of demonic forces, too, because a third of innumerable is still a lot big number. But God has them outnumbered two to one. And by the way, God doesn't need any of them for help. He simply says the word and everything's over. <laughs> but there's this spiritual uh, darkness out there. And the spiritual hosts that are out there that are here in what we call atmospheric earth. They're here on the earth. They're working evil. And understand, these spirits, they don't need jet blue to get from London to New York. They don't need American Airlines. Because they're spirits, understand one of the names of Satan is found right here in the book of Ephesians in the second chapter. We've got to go way back, many months back when we covered chapter 2. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul gives one of the names of Satan as the prince of the power of the air. Prince of the power of the air. Before there was Wi-Fi, before there was, you know, radio broadcast, television broadcast, airplane travel, Satan and all those other spirit beings have the ability to circle the globe. The Bible even talks about the seat of Satan has been in different cities at different times. Um, these invisible forces, they foster evil. Now, if Satan wasn't around, and we know that he helped foster evil in the Garden of Eden, he tempted Eve, right? But 
human beings make a choice to sin, too. If Satan wasn't around, and God's going to prove that at the end of the millennium when he's going to remove, or Satan's going to be removed uh, for a thousand years, and people still choose sin, then he's going to be re-released, and people are still going to choose sin, and no one will be able to say, well, the devil made me do it. It'll be proof that we also choose sin as much as the enemy fosters sin, but he does. He fosters evil. He fosters influence. He conjures up all kinds of heinous things. There are demonically possessed people. I believe even in the United States, people are misdiagnosed. Some people are demonically possessed. No doubt in my mind. You see some of the serial crimes and some of the viciousness, and you're like, and they don't even remember doing it? Well, I know why they don't remember, because the demons have come in. There's a real battle out there. It's the ruling power, this demonic, these demonic forces, it's the ruling power behind evil regimes, rulers, all the isms in the world, all the different isms you see. Satan's helped come up with that. It's an intricate web to trap people. All the philosophies, he's behind it all. He's an angel of light. Some of them actually have religions with Jesus' name in them, but they're not of Jesus at all. There's cults. There's all these different things. Um, not only that, in the second half of that verse in Ephesians 2, 2, it talks about those that are the sons of disobedience. In other words, Satan has, had, has full lock control of some people. They're literally walking as his sons in loyalty to him. Now, until God brings final judgment, these demonic spirits will continue to live. They have not been chained in everlasting darkness yet. There is still a demonic force all over the world, right? It's in China, it's in Africa, it's in America, it's in Europe, it's in South America, all over the planet. The evil forces of the enemy are working with people that have so far rejected Christ to do as much damage as possible. But until the final judgment, they'll continue to live here and they'll have free movement on the earth to deceive, to destroy, to distract. That's the big one. That's a big one in America. Just distract people. Just distract them. Make them so focused on everything else that the gospel is left as less important than a release of a Star Wars movie. Star Wars movie, this important, gospel, this important. And that's what Satan does here. He just wants you to believe that the things that really matter don't matter. The things that don't matter actually do matter. And lastly, he wants to destroy. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may destroy. And the other thing about the spirit world is they don't have a short lifespan like us. I mean, as far as, you know, if I live to be 100, I have a grandmother that's 99 now. Uh, that would be an incredibly long life. I don't expect to make it that long. You know, she ate better food in the 20s and whatever else than I do. But uh, the spirit world has been here since the garden. And they've observed and learned a lot about our bad habits. So they, have a, they have a long lifetime in history. They're going to keep doing what they do. But uh, they're in an all-out war against the sons and daughters of God. Jesus told Peter, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. Remember, Jesus could see the spiritual realm and the physical at the same time. He wasn't just looking like it. He could see everything's going on that we can't see invisibly in this room. Like if the enemy's speaking to you right now and says, don't listen to this, you don't need this, you're visiting here today, you don't need Jesus, that's the, that's the enemy talking. The Holy Spirit says, this is exactly what you need. You need my living water. That's going on, even in a room like this. But he said, Peter, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but Jesus said, but I've prayed for you that your faith won't fail. Aren't you glad that Jesus has prayed for us? Yeah, the demon world is, is pretty fierce, but Jesus, they're no match for him. Be encouraged and reminded by this scriptural fact. The forces of darkness, they were when Jesus walked the earth, and they still are today. They are petrified of Jesus. You need to know that. Don't let anyone give you some book that says you need to know how fierce and evil and wild and crazy the demonic world is. You can give them the book right back. See, I already know that. I know Jesus is greater. Jesus petrified the demonic world. They were 
afraid to death of him. Why? Because they knew he was God incarnate. They knew he held the keys to life and death, and they knew where they were headed at the end of the age. He's going to say, depart. They're going to be cast out. They knew that he will ultimately be sending them to everlasting torment for their rebellion and their pride and their evil rejection of God. The throwing out of heaven was just stage one. They knew. They would even say, Jesus, don't, don't tor- torment us yet. But these forces, they're not petrified of you and me. Did you know that? They're not scared of you and me. Only if the Holy Spirit is flowing in you and me. They're, they're petrified of the Holy Spirit. They're not petrified of Tim or you. They're not. So as long as you are in control, you're no match. But as soon as the Holy Spirit's in control, they're no match. That's the way it works. We have an enemy, whether we realize it or not. You start following close after Jesus, and in no time, you'll realize the enemy hates Jesus. And he'll fight against our decision to follow him. And Paul is saying this we're not fighting against people, it's not people. It's not ISIS. It's not communist. It's not this. Although those systems have brought a lot of destruction, they are not the issue personally. It's it's the spirit world behind it and these people. We still have to pray for them. They need to be saved. Paul says, your wrestle is against the enemy who is fighting hard until his final moments. This is where some Christians make a nonverbal decision not to follow Christ. They say, well, that's too heavy. Or they're just, I'm going to follow Jesus at a great distance. As long as I can see him as a speck out there, I'll follow him from about that far. Because I know where he's at, the battle will be raging, so I'll stay about, uh, how far can I stay back and still barely see him? But that's not an option, brother or sister. It's not an option. Jesus didn't give us that option. He said, take up your cross and follow me. It'll be right at his heels. If you're behind Jesus, you're in a good place. Right? You're going to be right behind him. Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. We want to be with him. We're either with him or we're without him. But when we're with him, we're on the winning side. That's the last thing we want to take a look at here this morning. We understand there's this war. We understand uh, the will of God for us is to be in this battle. We understand that this battle has spiritual forces behind it. We understand those forces are dark. They are evil, but we know Jesus is greater. And this is where he says, look, Paul is saying, yes, you're going to wrestle. By the way, if you've ever, any of you have ever done wrestling, it's a very tiring sport. You've you got nothing left after, I did it for one year, and I said, I'm going back to basketball. So I did. So um, it's a tiring sport. It'll take everything out of you. You don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but you are going to wrestle against this spiritual battle. But yet you can still win it. And Jesus says, you will win it if you follow my lead. You know, we talked about these special forces. If you've got the lead guy that's like been all these missions, you you have a confidence behind someone who knows what they're doing. Jesus knows what he's doing. Amen? I mean, confidence in the one who the other side is petrified of is the way to go. To follow it, just get right behind him. What does spiritual victory look like in our lives? Let's take a look what Paul says. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may, you may be able to stand. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Verse 14, stand therefore. Victory, this is what it looks like. You're still standing. You're still standing. Three times he mentions it. Stand, stand, stand. Whenever the Bible mentions something three times, circle it and take note. Whenever there's a verily, 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 there's a stand, stand, stand. You may be tired. You may have almost given up a few times, but somehow you didn't. You've prayed certain prayers hundreds of times. You ever done that? Man, I'm going to pray this one again? You probably will. You may be bruised. You may have some scars. You'll have some stories. 
Yes, you will. And there you are, still standing. Still standing. Jesus says, you're going to be amazed that you're still standing. You've seen some of these battle war movies, and you know the hero is going to make it. But you're like, how in the world? Bullets go this way, bullets go this way, sword misses them and hits the other dude. You know, you're still standing. And that's the way it is with us. God has prepared you and I to stand. He has created and saved you to stand for him. Satan wants you to fall. He wants you to fall back, fall out. He wants you to collapse and crumble. And if he can't accomplish that, he'll be happy to see you just sit down. Sit it out. Lay down or go back to sleep. Hit the alarm snooze button again. Whatever it takes to get you out of the battle, that's what Satan will do. Whatever it takes. He might, you know what, some people get them out of the battle, you know what he does? He gets on a triple promotion and they make four times as much as they used to make. And they don't need God anymore. Because they can buy their own mini battles and not have to. He'll do whatever it takes. Yet Jesus has called us to stand in victory. To take a stand and to stand in victory in a victory that he's already secured. You're not, he's not told you to go win it. He's already won it. He said, now stand in it. It's both a command and an encouragement, isn't it? It's an encouragement. Jesus says, I want you to stand up. Oh, by the way, I'm going to help you do it. The entire Bible, the entire Bible, read the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, the entire Bible is full of this continuous picture of men and women standing but by the grace of God, standing but by the grace of God, standing but by the grace of God. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, let me give you a few verses. You can write some of these down. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, uh, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave and strong. Romans 5, 2, this is the grace in which we stand. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, my beloved brethren, be steadfast or standing. Also, you can say it that way. Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Philippians 4.1, stand fast in the Lord. Colossians 4.12, that you may be able to stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Psalm 26.12, my foot stands in an even place. I will bless the Lord. And many, many, many more verses. I could go on and on, just read text after text. The Bible is full of this, to stand for the Lord. We're told to stand. We're told that we can and that we will. Great encouragement, great commandment. I've thought a lot about standing for the Lord since the day I was saved in 1995. I mean, I really, as I've read the Bible, as I've thought about battles that I've been in, or I've thought about things that I've gone through, or things that, that I've experienced, I've thought a lot about standing related to Scripture. Originally, think back when you first got saved. Originally, for me, it was just to stand out among my unsaved friends. Remember when you first got saved? That was your first standing, just to stand out. Didn't take long. They said, hey, we're going here. I said, i got to go to church. Immediately you stood out, like a sore thumb, right? <laughs> Immediately you were standing out. You weren't intending to be bold. You just simply said, uh, i got to go to church tomorrow. I can't do that. Well, we're going to go get drunk. Well, I can't do that anymore either. So these are the things that you just started to stand out. <laughs> like many of you, I would pray to stand up for my new faith. And for the gospel. Lord, help me to stand up for the gospel, up for the faith. Over the years, those original forms of standing for the Lord and in the Lord, they still remain. And yet now we have new standings that will, that will be added as you grow and you mature. Standing against compromise. Standing against apathy. Standing against covetousness. Temptations. Pride. We find ourselves having to stand in the face of sadness and frustration, fatigue. You ever have to stand when you're really tired? Defeat. It's hard to stand after you've been defeated. You feel defeated, right? You just don't feel like standing anymore. Fears. 
Here's a real one. That's why the Bible says so many times, do not be afraid, do not fear, do not fear. Psalm 34, 4, I called upon the Lord. He delivered me out of all my fears. Doubts, anger, anxiousness, depression, and the Lord still says stand. And it's not always the big things. Sometimes it's just little things wear us down, right? Oh, it's one more minor thing, right? The little stuff. We woke up this morning. I had to flush my eye. I don't know how many times my eye was swollen this morning. And I said, of course, I'm preaching on the spiritual warfare. So I don't know why. It was red. It was swollen. I literally slight, I put a piece of cucumber on it. I really did. You know, so, so I've seen people do this. Maybe this helped. I'm, I was I, I flushed it up, and my doctor said, whenever this happened, just flush both side, both eyes a lot. So I flushed them both, and it started to help. And I prayed also, and it's, it's cleared up dramatically. All this morning, the, my wife's cooking an egg. Smoke alarm was going off. Like, this was all this morning. <laughs> Smoke alarm's going off. ADT's calling. What's going on? I'm like, I got a cucumber. This, this <laughs> all in the same morning. This was today, not last year. So it's not always the big stuff. And we, we, we kind of laughed about it because we knew that we're like, this, is, this isn't big. This is minor stuff. But the minor stuff still really gets on our nerves. And a lot of times it's, called, it's the minor things, the succession of them that makes people just give up, stop standing. So I'm, not, I'm done. When I, when I didn't follow Jesus, I didn't get all these attacks. I didn't get all this or get all that. And Jesus says, hold firm. If you would make it through and the roots grow deep, you're going to see big pieces of fruit come out in your life. And all that, all this other stuff, the big stuff can happen in a whole week too. Life can be like us as a palm tree in a hurricane. You ever see how palm tree does? It's just like getting beaten down, almost flap on the ground. But amazingly, palm trees, it all stops, they pop back up. You know? They come back up. You have to make a stand as a parent, don't you? That's, sometimes you have to stand up against your own kids. Everyone else is, you know, you got to make a stand. You got you to take a stand as a friend sometimes. Be a friend that stands with people. You have to take a stand as an honest employee. Maybe sometimes you're the only one. You have to take a stand as a follower of Christ. All of these are things we have to take a stand of. At times, we're standing in so many capacities, in so many different areas, we're trying to stand, and we're under attack because we still have an enemy, right? And all that, we're still weak, we still have an enemy, we're under attack. But the weakness can actually become a strength when we call upon the name of the Lord. When and if we turn to God and we cling to Him. Over the years, I've underlined and highlighted many passages. I've I've only had two Bibles since I've been saved. The first one I got, and the first one I got was this thick, and then I realized after a while, I need something smaller to carry around. So now I have this one which Tuan, our worship leader, gave me. I don't have it. Seven, eight years ago you gave me this because I had mentioned, man, I could use a thinner Bible. Boom, got one. And I have marked this thing up like the other one was marked up. And over the years I've highlighted many passages in my Bible about standing. Now, not thinking about it, I just started to realize how many times I had looked back and they were all in there. Perhaps you have as well. If you start to look in your Bible, you might realize, wow, I did highlight a lot of things that related about standing. And sometimes not necessarily the word standing, but it's still the same thought of standing. And thankfully, there are many of these these verses to hold on to. You can almost open your Bible anywhere three times, and by the third time, you'll probably find one that has something to do with standing in the Lord. Meditate on these things. Since uh, I was ordained back in 2005 and pastoring this church since 2007, the most public aspect of my calling is to stand, which I'm doing right now, right? It's the most public aspect. And I didn't say it's the most important aspect. It may or may not be. I could say I probably put prayer ahead of it based on the Bible. Jesus prayed for 40 days before he went and ministered. I'd put prayer ahead of it. But, but he also had a public ministry where he taught, right? So the most public aspect of my ministry is to stand and to stand specifically to share the Word of God. That's what the Lord's called me to do. For me to stand relative to teaching and preaching is both literal and metaphor for me in standing in the Lord. Literally, I have to stand and preach, but metaphorically, I have to stand in the Lord. And it's for staying the course. That's really what it comes down to. When God is talking to you and me about standing, what He's really saying to you, brother and sister, is stay the course. Stay the course. 
Standing means staying the course. So as I was preparing, literally this week, I'm sitting in my office. Uh, my office is at the house. We don't have much space here at the church. I have an office in the house, second floor office. I start looking around my office. As I often do, I'll stop and I'll twiddle the pen and I'll pray for a little bit. I'll read some more. I'll think. Uh, I'll look out my window and, and just, Lord, what are you saying here? And, and back to typing or whatever else on the laptop. But I was just looking around the office, as I often do, and I paused for a few minutes just typing and reading. And as I lean back, I look at one of the frames on the wall, and it catches my eye. One of the frames on the wall catches my eye. And it's one I've read or reread many times. And I start looking around at some of the other things that are on my desk and on the bookshelf, and they also catch my eye. And I, I glance at all of them. And even though they're always there, I hadn't kind of stitched them all together for some reason. They've been there for a couple of years. And I look at all of them from time to time. At one time, there's a coffee mug, there's this, and, you know, and, I, and here I am in the sixth chapter of Ephesians. And the singularity of the message I looked around my office was there. It was stand. There it was, all around me. Then it dawned on me that I never bought myself any of these things. You guys did. <laughs> Maybe not you specifically, but some people in here gave them to me. Now, some I remember getting. And you know, the Lord wants us to stand. As I started looking around the office, these are, I, I, st I took a picture of each of them, and I started circling them. And I noticed how often that whether the elders had done it, Sometimes people in the church, I don't even think I grabbed everything. These are just a sample of how many times I had been given things that said to stand. And I circled there, them there in red. So I'm glad that the Lord's given me these reminders from the body of Christ. I didn't buy myself these things. I've highlighted my own Bible a million times with these things. But I'm here to tell you back that you also need to stand. It's a good message. This is a bi-directional message. <laughs> I need to stand, but you need to stand too. You need the same verses. They're, just a, they're in your Bible just like they're in my Bible. But I looked at one more frame in my office. It was a frame text, actually a verse, and it immediately reminded me that our standing and our commitment in our hearts is only possible with God's help and grace. In other words, he tells us to do it, but he actually knows we can't do it unless he helps us. It's, that's kind of an odd thing, right? God says, all right, go do this, and by the way, you can't do it unless I help you. And here it is. He is faithful to do it. There it is. He's faithful to do it. God says, do it. You can't do it, but you will do it because I'll do it through you. I know it's hard to get our heads around that, but that's what he's saying. We endeavor to stand, but he alone makes it possible. What God looks at is deep in our hearts. He knows when we mean business. He knows when we've set our course. We say, Lord, there's no way I can do this, but I'm going to jump out of the boat like Peter did. Okay, I think it's going to work. Maybe it won't work. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. But I'm going to step out anyway. Boom. He helps him stand. And having done all, verse 13, all, God looks at our all, is you're all with him. Are you serving with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength? Thank and praise God when we trust and obey and commit to standing by faith. It's ultimately and always him keeping us upright. God keeps us upright. Romans 14.4, these are the encouraging, we're almost done, I just want you to hear these things. Romans 14.4, for God is able to make him stand. Jude 1.24, one of my favorite verses early in my walk, this one's ministered to me for years. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Yes. That's a great one. Yes. He's able to keep you from stumbling. Psalm 18.36, you've enlarged my path under my feet so my feet did not slip. That's pretty good. That's better than cleats or golf shoes or anything else, right? Habakkuk 3.19, the Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, make me walk on the high hills. I've always been amazed that deer and mountain goat, they will scale anything like it's nothing. Right? 
Everybody else is slipping and falling. They're like, what are you all waiting on? Like, the, the angle's like this. They just go straight up it. Spiritually speaking, as we stand in the Lord, um, He's given us the power and the strength against the enemy and against the forces of darkness and against discouragement, but He's also giving us power over ourselves. Power over ourselves. Our flesh is a big roadblock to ourselves. Because we're often and almost always our own biggest problem. We always like to look outside, but we're almost always the problem. 1 Corinthians 7.37, if you don't write anyone, write this one down. He who stands steadfast in his heart has power against his own will. Whoa. God says, when you start to stand, you're going to start to say no to yourself. When you start saying no to yourself, you're going to start seeing victory. You're going to start saying, no, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to believe that lie. No, I'm not going to waste this time, Lord. I'm going to redeem time. He who stands steadfast in his heart has power over his own will, 1 Corinthians 7, 37. But more than that, his victory doesn't just keep us standing, but it takes us to new depths of joy and fulfillment if we patiently wait. The second half of Jude 124, remember, can we keep us from stumbling? The second half is to present you faultless before his glory with exceeding joy. God not only wants to keep us from stumbling, but he also wants to fill us with joy. But getting from the will of ourself to the will of God is the impasse to that joy. But as we travel that valley, we'll find there's joy on the other end, no matter what's going on. The Lord will let us endure some tough battles. He absolutely will. But His will is not just that we survive, not just that we stand. And as we already mentioned, often that's the winning right there. Just standing is winning. But that ultimately we go on and thrive in peace and in joy that we could never comprehend until he unveils it in our life. And that's my prayer for all of us, that we would stand now and ultimately flourish, all of us. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you not only tell us the plan, but Lord, you ensure that this plan will work and we will see victory if we will but follow you. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief, that you are greater than ourselves, greater than the spiritual forces of wickedness, greater than all these things. You can help us stand and not only stand, but be rooted and flourish. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.